When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Uh, thank you for joining me. Happy Wednesday uh, to you and yours. It's hump day. Uh, we're halfway through the week. Uh, we're headed towards the weekend. And man, do we have a great show planned for you today. Steve Kim will be here. Uh, TJ Moe will be here. Pastor Bobby, Pastor Anthony uh, will be here. It, of course, it's Wednesday. That means Tennessee Harmony. Uh, but before we get to Harmony, we're gonna talk a little NFL football. Uh, two topics to cover, Deshaun Watson and uh, Rob Gronkowski retired. We'll do that with uh, Steve Kim and uh, TJ Moe. And then uh, we'll talk some more NFL football to some degree uh, in Tennessee Harmony with uh, Pastor Bobby and Pastor Anthony. Herschel Walker uh, in a bit of trouble in his Senate race. Uh, it's come out in the past week that you know, Herschel's got some stray babies that he really hadn't copped to. And uh, we'll get a little biblical perspective on whether evangelicals can feel comfortable supporting Herschel. Uh, we'll talk about that with uh, Bobby and Anthony. And just how you handle sin, how transparent does a public figure need to be about his sins in the past? Uh, I'm gonna start a small fire and then uh, bring in, go quickly to Steve Kim. Uh, because it's it, not a scripted fire starter mono uh, because I can't really fully make up my mind about what it is I want to say about Deshaun Watson. Uh, it was announced uh, yesterday or we learned yesterday that Deshaun Watson settled with 20 <clears throat> of the 24 women uh, bringing allegations against him, sexual harassment, assault, whatever, civil claims against him uh, for inappropriate sexual conduct, mostly related to uh, him reaching out to massage therapists or asking women for massages over Instagram. Uh, this has been hovering over his head for more than a year now. He didn't play all last year in Houston, partially because of this, partially because he wanted out of Houston. Uh, he's been traded to the Cleveland Browns and the Browns have paid him a record amount of money. I've never seen a guy uh, get rewarded. Uh, he set out all of last year, 24 different women bring sexual assault allegations against him, and he ends up with one of the richest contracts in the history of the NFL. The Cleveland Browns go all in on, on uh, Deshaun Watson, despite all of the turmoil and drama hanging over his head. It's kind of the question, we're pondering as 20 of these 24 cases have come to a happy ending or some sort of conclusion, uh, pun intended there, uh, forgive me, I apologize, but th they've wrapped them up and so there's still 
four cases that haven't been uh, wrapped up, but it seems like the NFL here in the next month or so is gonna have to wrap up its investigation and decide what it's going to do with Deshaun Watson. How long is he gonna be forced to sit out? Should they suspend uh, Deshaun Watson? There have been no uh, criminal charges brought against uh, Deshaun Watson. Uh, prosecutors, investigators in Houston, in that area say that they're unable to sustain any criminal charges based on all these allegations. And so Deshaun Watson, uh, clearly I think we've all reached the conclusion, Deshaun Watson has some sort of problem that uh, I, we've learned that, you know, allegedly he contracted with 66 different women uh, for massages and I think in a 17 month period. Uh, and many of them uh, are, are suggesting he wanted more than a massage. He, he wanted sex of some kind. He wanted some sort of happy ending of some kind. Uh, but nothing rises to a criminal element. Uh, it rises to an inappropriate uh, misconduct, but not criminal. And so the question is, should the NFL, based on, again, I, I'm not even sure, well, there have been a couple of women that, that have alleged that, uh, you know, he forced oral sex on them or forced some sort of sexual contact, uh, contact on them. Uh, but I, I'm not sure if the NFL is on super firm footing here, punishing a guy who uh, has is faced no criminal charges. Now, again, as we've learned, settling, and, and he had a gun to his head. I don't know if he had a choice but to settle uh, with these women. And I think it was just last week I, was, I read where Deshaun Watson and his lawyer were claiming they, he wanted to prove his innocence. He wasn't going to settle. And then a few days later, well, we've settled with 20 of the 24. Uh, Deshaun Watson could have done himself a huge favor by settling with these women uh, months or a year ago and not doing this kind of damage to his reputation. But uh, let, let's bring in uh, Steve Kim, the Korean Cosell, and and because Steve, I don't have, and normally I have a great answer. Normally I have an opinion that I, I'm firmly convicted in, but I have to say as it relates to Deshaun Watson, I, I'm, I'm, I don't know what the NFL should do. So I'm going to ask you to go first. Uh, should he be suspended? And how long should the NFL suspend Deshaun Watson? Yeah, first of all, the news was surprising. I guess you'd call this in football an audible. I mean, because they changed course real quickly from their statements a couple of weeks ago. Here's the question. Uh, it's not if they're going to suspend him, the National Football League. The real question is for how long. And then to add on to that particular statement is, does last year where he did not play a single snap, does that count as time served? Okay, so that, that to me is a bit of a gray area. I go all the way back. It was about what? Uh, 10, 15 years ago with Ben Roethlisberger, he had some real issues uh, outside the field of play. The NFL forced him to, I believe, miss about a month and a half. I'm not mistaken. I get the sense, and 
Here's the difference, though. With the Roethlisberger situation, that news was fairly contained in terms of the time frame. I remember it was a story for a couple of months. This thing's dragged out for a year. And the NFL is so image conscious nowadays, more than ever, I almost wonder if they think that's the bigger penalty. Not his actions, but the way you drug us through the mud with you. So just my personal point of view is they can make the argument, all right, last year we didn't play. That has to count for something in terms of our penalty that we're going to receive. My guess is, and if I was Commissioner Kim, I'd go eight games on top of that. To me, um, that's a resolution. I know no one's going to be happy with it, but oftentimes when nobody is happy with a compromise, that probably means it's the fair one. Okay. I, I kind of like the eight-game suspension suggestion. Uh, I don't think he should be given any credit for time served. He <laughs> set last year be, primarily because he wanted out of Houston. He didn't want to play in Houston anymore. He was throwing a tantrum. I believe he got paid all of last year. And so basically he got no wear and tear on his body, got a big paycheck, and then – Cleveland hmm. turns around and rewards him with a mammoth contract. So I, I, I don't, I don't want to hear about last year. I want to hear about all the hardships and nobody knows the trouble Deshaun Watson went through. He had to sit out all last year, but he gets this record contract. Now, is he a social pariah? Has his endorsement ability and all that gone in the toilet and and his life has changed and he the harassment he faces over social media and all that that is a penalty uh i think with roethlisberger it was a six game suspension that got reduced to four i believe if my memory serves me correctly i i i think eight games here that gets reduced probably to six upon appeal that that sounds about right. I don't think it will satisfy uh, the feminist wing of NFL fans. I'm not sure if any, no, mm. anything less than you're suspended for the year, you're going to have uh, people going on television and wagging a finger and bobbing their head and talking about how sexist the NFL is uh, because, again, that's how they uh, show their value as broadcasters. But, but I, I, I think the NFL's, and I, this isn't now directly on uh, Roger Goodell, I don't think. I, I think that uh, they've, with the new CBA, there's a committee, there's an arbitrator, and so this won't be Goodell dropping the hammer. This will be the NFL uh, dropping the hammer. Obviously, Goodell will have some influence, but, but I, I like your suggestion of, yeah. of eight games. Let me go ahead. Yeah, and Jason, I want to say this right now. With the way you, 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 your speech right there, if you were running for DA, district attorney, I'd vote for you because you, you're not into this criminal justice reform. I like that. We need more of that in most of our major cities. So Jason Whitlock gets my vote for that. A couple of things. Uh, you could also make an argument. Playing for the Cleveland Browns is penalty enough. Let them play all 17 games. The other thing is the Browns need to do two things. Get him a massage gun. Those things are great if you're a little sore. They work your body real cheap and everything. Just got to recharge it. Also, you know how the Browns can deal with this PR mess? I was thinking about this. I was preparing for this fine show. Get Colin Kaepernick as the backup. This way, 
now, now they're getting social equity. Now, if you hire Colin Kaepernick, let's see if he really wants to play football. Now, some of these guys that are going to be staunchly against the Browns, they'll be the biggest Browns pom-pom waivers you could possibly ask for. So those are my two things. Massage gun, Kaepernick. Dude, I wish you had told me that earlier in the day. I love that suggestion. I, I mean, that... that. <laughs> on the day that it's announced his suspension, if the Cleveland Browns sign Colin Kaepernick and oh. sign him to – you've already overpaid Deshaun Watson. Go ahead and give uh, Kaepernick five, seven million bucks a yeah. year to be the backup. Uh, and that would – that'll silence – no one would even cover uh, the suspension or anything about right. Deshaun Watson. You'd let Kaepernick be the circus. Uh, it wouldn't be good for Deshaun Watson because as soon as he throws an interception, you'll hear people saying, how come Kaepernick's not playing? It must be racism. Uh, Kaepernick, you know, it, I, I don't, it'll be reverse, reverse, reverse racism because Kaepernick's a lighter-skinned, allegedly black man than the uh, dark-skinned. Right. <laughs> and Jason, Watson. it would massage, it would massage a lot of feelings of people like Mike Florio. It's the perfect antidote. Oh, I love that. Kaepernick to Cleveland as a distraction to cover up for the whole Deshaun Watson thing. Let, let me, on a serious note, Deshaun Watson was headed down a path to be one of the great NFL quarterbacks, a rival to Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. Uh, we've seen Kobe Bryant. We've seen Ben Roethlisberger. Uh, overcome Kobe a rape allegation obviously been a rape allegation we've seen them overcome this and go on to greatness and Hall of Fame careers where they're celebrated and kind of move past it do you think Deshaun Watson's going to be able to overcome his troubles in a similar fashion well ask me in five six years when he, when uh, he, if he makes a few Pro Bowls if he leads the Browns to consistent playoffs in a Super Bowl all shall be forgiven the bottom line sports fans in my view are sometimes the most brutally honest and sometimes they're the most hypocritical because if athletes who have legal issues and, and let's say it's a really a bad crime it's not like just a bunch of parking tickets but we're literally talking about harming others in a very violent way or you violate them sexually fans pretend like they really care about the ethics and morality but when it comes to it if a player produces, okay, and they lead you to a lot of wins, playoff conquests, and some championships, those things become a footnote. We have to be honest. Look, I'm a Laker fan, and the summer of 2003 is when Eagle Colorado unfortunately took place for Kobe Bryant. And you know what's funny? Even in that particular season, 03-04, as Kobe was going back and forth from various NBA road trips, L.A., to the courtroom in Colorado, you know what we cared about as Laker fans, for better or worse, and I'm not making a judgment, <laughs> Kobe just scored 40 again. Isn't he great? Honestly. And then when he got, I, I think there was a settlement, we said, oh, great. Uh, now Kobe's going to keep playing. The bottom line is this. The way the team's fans, specifically the Browns, are going to judge Watson in the mortal words of Tony Phillips, I'm going to clean this up. Wins and losses. Wins and losses. It's really that simple. None of – look, it, it, I, I get this all the time in college football recruiting. Oh, that kid has a 
couple of academic issues. He's been arrested five times. Yeah, but does he run a 4-3? I mean, we have to be honest about this. All of this is judged on the performance. And it's not necessarily most moral or ethical, and, but at times it's also the most honest because we care about them as players and their performance. Well, let me say this. The media, which allegedly should represent the fans and the common person, it doesn't. <laughs> no. It's a, it's, the media is a completely different entity, disconnected from fans, and many of the media hate the fans. And so I'm not sure if fans, as it relates to all entertainers, all entertainers, the rock and roll star that's married to a 16-year-old or dating a 16-year-old, the comedian <laughs> that's dating a, a teenager and drug problems and uh, you know rape allegations and criminal whatever, no one cares. I mean, if you go look at the history yeah. of James Brown or, I, you know, I, I disagree with a lot of the allegations against Michael Jackson. I don't believe them, but let's take Michael Jackson or whatever. Fans don't care. The, the rock and roll star, who, what was the, I can't remember the uh, well, Jason, movie Jason, I watched. What, it was a, go ahead. When Your Body's Calling comes on, I, I'm not turning off R. Kelly. Uh, I don't like what he did. It's very salacious. Uh, I, when I Believe I Can Fly comes on, I'm singing along with it. I, I mean, we, we have to be honest about this. I, I mean, when R. Kelly is, well, he's no longer on the radio, but uh, I still punch him up on YouTube. I still have his CDs. I still bob my head. He's a great performer. Um, many of us, we have to look at athletes as what they are. In every major city, they are mercenaries. They are hired to do a job. Okay, that's why I've never subscribed to athletes who say, well, I'm more than an athlete, right? But that's what you get paid as. We don't know you as next-door neighbors. You're not our family. Do your job. If you do it well, we're going to wear your jersey. We're going to make you rich men. We're going to give you uh, idolization. But that's it. But be good at your job. And, and that's the whole thing. Look, the media can be up in arms and clutch their pearls and talk about how there should be a lifetime suspension. But the way I look at it is Deshaun Watson, if he's made legal uh, penance with all of these women, and I believe there's still four remaining, which he has to deal with, he should have the right to resume his career if there's a team willing to employ him, just like Michael Vick. I don't think anybody liked what Michael Vick was involved in. But as far as I was concerned, after I believe he had a two-year suspension, I said if Michael Vick has fulfilled every one of his legal obligations, he should be allowed to play the game of football as long as the team says, hey, we want you on our roster. I never agreed with these people back in like 2012 and 13 who were still bringing up Michael Vick's case. I'm sorry, legal justice in American society does not work that way. So as it relates to Deshaun Watson, he's just going to have to have really tough skin. So, and, and my time frame is a bit fuzzy on when Ben Roethlisberger had his problems. Seemed like it was 10, 12 years ago. Yeah. But, but you know, Kobe Bryant, 2003. All of these things are before, in, before the total takeover of social media. And that's where, where the Michael Vick thing happened during the social media era. When he re-entered... Uh, the NFL, social media was playing a big role 
in uh, how athletes were perceived. And so, again, when you talk about will he be able to recover in a similar fashion as Kobe and Ben Roethlisberger, we need to remember Kobe and Ben Roethlisberger were during before the social media era, and now that social media has such an incredible influence over not just the athletes, but over the media, I think it's gonna be a tougher road for Deshaun Watson. And, and I say that because I think the athletes are so addicted to being on Instagram. They're so addicted to being on Twitter that he's gonna have a hard time disciplining himself and moving away and not following that conversation. And, and I'm not sure if, if he's gonna have the same confidence, same swagger, same tough skin that it would be, that it will take to, to continue to play at a high level on a consistent basis. So I'm skeptical if the well, Browns are gonna see the kind of return on this investment that they're hoping for. Well, Jason, let's go back to the timeline. The Kobe Bryant situation happened, I believe, after the 2003 season when the Lakers three-peat uh, got busted up by the San Antonio Spurs. Roethlisberger, if I'm not mistaken, was 2009, right around that era. Michael Vick, I believe, was in 07-08, so they're kind of actually in the same era. Um, when did Michael Vick re-enter the NFL, though? When did uh, he re-enter the NFL? 2009. I believe it's 2009. So keep that in mind. Remember, he got rehabilitated, actually spent a year kind of redshirting. I believe Andy Reid picked him up as a backup to Donovan McNabb, and then it was 2010. He really had a strong season and a kind of a career renaissance. The one thing about Deshaun Watson, you're right, but, you know, once players get on that field of play and they get hit in the mouth, all football players say even a Super Bowl, they're nervous for one play, they get hit, and they play football. Deshaun Watson, uh, in my view, is a gamer. It's really a shame. I did not understand why he blew up his relationship with the Houston Texans the way he did. That was a franchise literally willing to make him the logo. He meant that much. And I, I you know, I want to be very clear about this. My biggest problem with Deshaun Watson is his lack of judgment. If you want to get a massage, get a massage. You want the extras, get the extras. People make it clear. You can get the massage. Some can get the extras. Sometimes you can get both. But the fact that he was so reckless as a public figure to do this the way he did, <laughs> I have to tell you, I think that's actually more alarming than anything else. All right, uh, Steve, before uh, we get to an approval rating on Deshaun Watson, I wanted to ask you about Rob Gronkowski uh, has announced he's not coming back with Tom Brady. He's going to retire. We'll start here. Do you think he stays retired this time? And then uh, where does he rank in the pantheon of all-time great tight ends? I think that's it. I mean, I remember when he retired on a Sunday – afternoon he made that uh, retirement i was on my way to cover a fight and it came over the news wires that he was retiring i believe it was in 2018 and his body was beat up that, that that's the one thing he was this big strong hulking figure and he looked very worn down and very broken down at the end of his run even in making some huge plays in that last super bowl against the rams where he went upfield put them in position to score that game winning touchdown but essentially, he had become a glorified second-blocking tight end. 
Then things change where Tom Brady ends his relationship with New England. And I believe Tom nudged Gronk to say, I need you. I, I kind of need a security blanket. I can trust you. I'm going to expect you to be 75% of what you were. And it worked. For two years, they went to a Super Bowl. And they were also a very good team the second year. And I get the sense now this is it. Th- th- this will not be Sugar Ray Gronkowski. I don't see any more comebacks. Now, and you asked me, where does okay. where does he rank? Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna be Mr. Controversy here. This is what I do. Okay, and it's probably gonna be drug allegations again from Jason Whitlock, right? <laughs> At his peak, he's the best ever. He's the toughest matchup I have ever seen. Did he put up the numbers of the great Tony Gonzalez? No. Did he have his longevity? No. But he's the greatest blend of size, speed toughness I've ever seen. He's a tight end that could block like a third tackle and set the edge in the running game. And he could also flare out and be a wide receiver. And depending on who you put on him, he could either run that short slant and body a a, a small defensive back, or he could run goal routes on strong safeties and linebackers. And when, when he got the football, there are particular plays. He looks like 88 tech mobile Bo Jackson. I've never seen a guy do the things that he did. And there's particular moments that he made plays where I'm like, wow, I've literally never seen that. He was a combination of all the great tight ends ever, a combination of Kellen Winslow, John Mackey, Mike Ditka, Shannon Sharp, and Tony Gonzalez. I'm going to say it again. At his peak, when healthy, he's the toughest matchup. As my shirt said, he's the greatest of all time. There you go. I can't hate on your list. Uh, I, I'm not even sure if I can disagree with it. I do just the longevity issue is an issue for me. And and Tony Gonzalez and, and Kellen Winslow, to me, are the two best tight ends I've ever seen. Uh, and, and thought that, you know, look, you put them with Bill Belichick and that dynasty and, and Tom Brady and the way – and particularly as it relates to Kellen Winslow. Kellen Winslow got to play in this era of video game Madden football, uh, the numbers he could have put up. But I, I, I can't hate on those numbers uh, or on, those, on that ranking. It, it, it makes sense. I was sitting here trying to think, of who did you leave out of your top five? But, you know, <sighs> Dicka, I guess, would be a candidate. Antonio Gates. Antonio Gates is a and, tough one. Travis Kelsey, that's a guy that Hadley brought up. By the time he's done, we'll have numbers that'll match anybody. I'm just telling you, though, Gronkowski on the in line, nobody could block like him. And his ability to get down the seam. And look, there came a point where people were afraid to tackle him and they would just take out his knees, which was a part of his injury problems. But there are certain plays. I remember a play against Washington early in his career. He dove for a ball. No one touched him. He actually just got up and broke like four tackles. It was like a cartoon. I'm just telling you, he did things I've never seen. In my view, it was one of the rare tight ends that was actually must-watch TV. All right, before we get to the approval rating, let me take care of a little business. There are two things you need for the 4th of July, fireworks and a good old-fashioned American steak. It's easy to get good fireworks. (laughs) There's a vendor on every corner, but getting high-quality American meat isn't as easy. Don't cook up a steak from some other country this 4th of July. Yeah, over 85% of grass-fed beef you find in stores is imported from overseas. 
No, this year instead grill up 100% American prime ribeye from Good Ranchers. Right now, they're giving away two free 18 ounce prime ribeyes with my code, FEARLESS. Good Ranchers is an award-winning subscription company that delivers American meat to your door. They sell steakhouse quality beef, chicken, and seafood that's superior to what you're buying at the grocery store. You can do a one-time purchase to try it out or subscribe to get $25 off every box for the life of your subscription. It's an amazing product delivered right to your door every four, six, or eight weeks. Go to GoodRanchers.com fearless or use my code fearless at checkout to get your two free 18 ounce ribeyes. Shop Good Ranchers today. It's American meat delivered. They're our best friends here on Fearless. They're your best friends. Treat your best friend and the people that support your point of view very well. GoodRanchers.com uh, slash fearless or just use the fearless promo code. Get your $25 off. Get that subscription. All right, let's uh, move to our approval rating on Deshaun Watts. All right, Steve, uh, we'll see what uh, deviation of the number five you use today uh, as we go through uh, <laughs> our approval rating for Deshaun Watson. Uh, there's got to be agreement here. The guy didn't play all last year. Job performance, there, I don't think we have any choice. I certainly didn't. Uh, I got to give him a zero. That's a number you can add, uh, Steve, zero. Yeah, if you don't do the job, uh, you didn't perform. Bottom line, this is one of the easiest ratings I've ever done. He gets an absolute zero. Uh, character, mm. uh, this is where we may have a little disagreement. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people will sit there. How can you give the guy any points for character? He's jammed up and let he who has not sinned cast the first stone. Uh, I, 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 I have sinned, and so... Just because Deshaun Watson sinned doesn't mean I can erase all of his character. You know, he has not handled this situation over the past year in a high character fashion. So I'm only going to give him a two, but I'm not going to give him a zero for character. Okay, I'm going to also include the way he handled his run, as I mentioned earlier, with the Houston Texans. I didn't like it. I don't think it was the behavior of a franchise quarterback, especially one that had signed a long-term extension. That's the other thing. It's not like he was coming to the end of his contract. Now, you always say to me, Steve, you always go zero or five. Yeah, you know what? This time I'm going to – the only reason why I go a zero is because I can't give him a negative five. That still grates at me the way he handled that situation. <laughs> All right. Uh, boy, you're making this real easy on yourself, uh, the non-math whiz. <laughs> Authenticity. Uh, yeah, he, he, he was out there. He and his uh, agent, Dave Mulligetta – wanted mm. to portray Deshaun Watson as a social justice warrior and, you know, uh, the, the high-profile, high-playing Colin Kaepernick. That blew up in their face. Uh, so I, I'm not high on his authenticity. I give him a three. I, I think he's been very, very insincere. He has not been very honest about this whole process. So I'm going to have to give him another Gilbert Arenas, a zero. <laughs> Oh, boy. All right. It factor. I'm, I'm super high on his it factor. And I'll just tell you why. If you can sit out a year, have 24 women accuse you of some sort of sexual assault and some franchise is willing to give you two hundred fifty million dollars and virtually all of it or maybe all of it guaranteed trade a bunch of assets to acquire you. 
you definitely got it. So I give him a 25 in it factor. You know, I, I can't disagree with that, but I went much lower than you. And I gave him this number, not necessarily even based on this offseason. I still remember the back-to-back championship games he played at Clemson against the Crimson Tide. And look, it is very difficult to have success against Nick Saban coach teams when he has a full month. In two games, he absolutely tore up NFL-caliber defenses. And I said to myself, that guy's got it. He's special. Dabo Sweeney coming out of the NFL draft said anyone that doesn't draft him, not knowing what he knows now, said, you're turning down Michael Jordan. So I was almost going to go and do a Don Larson and just go perfect game, 0-0-0. But, you know, I just can't forget that because I think once he starts playing and he has enough parts, he's going to be good. But for now, I will give him a 10. Oh, that's easy to add, a 10. Uh, Again, yeah, I'm consistent, man. I'm consistent. (laughs) All right, well, we both got him at a dumpster fire. I've got him at 30, you got him at 10. Uh, great job, Steve. Uh, we'll bring in TJ Moe and uh, talk a little Deshaun Watson and Rob Gronkowski with TJ Moe. Let's roll out to St. Louis and uh, bring in uh, T.J. Moe, who I think when he had that cup of coffee with the New England Patriots and Tom Brady, I think Rob Gronkowski was at that same cafe at the same time. And so T.J.'s the perfect person, uh, first uh, perfect fearless soldier to talk a little Rob Gronkowski uh, retirement with. We'll start there. Uh, T.J., uh, do you think... Rob Gronkowski is really officially retired or will, with four or five games left in the season, if Tom Brady needs him, will he uh, unretire and come back? Gronk's not retired. Uh, Gronk will be back if and when the playoff push comes. When Tom Brady picks up the phone, Gronk does not say no. Um, Look, Gronk has been semi-retired for a few years now. Um, If you remember during the... COVID stuff. He actually came out and and you were supposed to be running sprints from home and you got to send in a video. So Gronk ran sprints and he took a video and then he changed shirts and then he took another video and then he changed shirts and he took another video and he did that for a week. So he didn't work out at all in the off season and he ran seven sprints and sent in a video every day to show them that he was working out. That's Gronk is talented enough and has good enough technique and is smart enough to go out there and just roll it out and play similar to um, Jerome Bettis did this at the end of his career. If you remember Jerome in his final years where he was like he I remember watching a documentary on him and he would say after a Sunday, I would not get out of bed until Wednesday. So I'd skip most of the week of practice and then I'd finally roll out of bed. I'd try to go through the game plan, get a practice in, and then I'd be ready for Sunday. Gronk doesn't need practice. You know, once now, especially with with Arians gone, Tom is running the offense. He can tell Gronk what to do when he needs him out there to go catch a pass. Gronk can still run, but his his body has largely been breaking down for a while. Um, I can tell you, 
I don't think his speed is a major issue. You, do you know the, the moment that I knew I wasn't going to make it in the NFL? This was before I got injured. It was when I was running next to Rob Gronkowski on the practice field, and I was at a dead sprint, and he was running by me like I was standing still. And this is as a tight end, and I thought, well, that's why he's the greatest ever, and I don't belong here. Mm. So what is it? Why don't you think he's retired? Just because if Brady needs him, he'll fill that pool, or do you think it's really not out of his system? Um, I think he doesn't want to go through the training camp, not that it's difficult anymore. I think he doesn't need to go through a full season. He'd love to get some more money. If you remember at the end of last year, uh, I think it was last year, maybe it was two years ago, when he had to have a certain amount of catches and yards, and he, he ran up to Tom, who was supposed to be sitting for the rest of the game. They had put in Blaine Gabber. And he said, Tom, I need two more catches and seven yards or whatever it was to get his million-dollar bonus. He still cares about the money. By the way, not that he's been bad with his money. So far as I know, I don't think he has actually spent a dollar of his salary at any point in his life. He's lived off of his endorsements. And so the dude's got plenty of money, but he still wants to make money like everyone else. And so uh, he's looking for some money, of course. And also, he's been so banged up. If you remember his forearm, he's rebroken like three times. Initially, I think he broke it when he was blocking for an extra point. His forearm's pretty messed up. That's why... He has that giant brace on still. He's torn his up his knees, especially when the NFL went to where you weren't allowed to hit people up high anymore. The six foot five guy started getting his knees taken out. He's just tired of it, but he's ready to play some more football when the greatest quarterback of all time says, hey, dude, this is my last year. I'd like to win a championship with you and we can go out on top like we always planned. Gronk will be back. Yeah, I, I can see someone like that that's been beat up. Uh, and look, he's a Hall of Famer regardless if he comes out of retirement, if he stays retired. Uh, and, and so he wants to play when the games really, really matter. This whole 17-game yes. season thing that they've set up. I think you're going to see more and more of this. And I think that uh, the other thing, and this is kind of taking us off on a, on a side track, side note, is, is – it makes the point of when you talk about how talented Gronk is and he really doesn't need to prepare or practice. I, I say this a lot of times about a lot of athletes, particularly at the professional level. It's really not about how hard you work. It's, it's how much talent you have. Now, do guys like Tom Brady or Walter Payton or Jerry Rice separate themselves with their work ethic? But, but you would, I think people would be amazed at how many of the top, top professional athletes in all these sports, they, they don't work nearly as hard as everyone thinks they do. Now, there's a percentage of them in order to stay in the league, they have to work really, really hard. If you're Tom Brady and you wanna be the very best of all time, given his level of talent, you have to work really, really hard. If you're a friend of mine, James Harrison, linebacker for the Steelers that I think will get into the Hall of Fame. The guy's barely six feet tall playing defensive end in the NFL. He played at Kent State. He had to work, had to outwork, outlift, outprepare everybody to put together the career he had. But the super duper talented, they just kind of show up. I agree with that. And especially later in their career, they show up, right? It's like a lot of 
winning in the NFL is not only talent, but it's technique and knowledge. And by year 10 or 12, you've got all that. There's no new technique that you're learning. You can study film and just that the older you get, the better you get at studying film. So the less you need to do it, particularly if you're not a quarterback breaking down new schemes against smart defensive coordinators. If you're Rob Gronkowski and you're looking at a safety's technique, it takes you five minutes to say, here's what he likes to do. Here's how I'm going to win. That's if he watches film at all, because Gronk just runs by these guys. So he has the technique. He's worked hard long enough. You know, the guys that played in New England, this is why Gronk, Gronk would not have come out of retirement in New England. You know, the, there's one of like, I think, two or three teams that still do tackling drills, like live tackling throughout training camp, and the Patriots are one of them. We used to have a drill where you would, uh, and it's still going on, Belichick does this, we used to have a drill where you guys would meet at the out-of-bounds, right? It's like you just get a five-yard running head start on an angle, and you'd meet at the out-of-bounds. And the safety would have to take you to the ground or you'd have to juke him. It was one or the other. It was he, the Bill's philosophy was that we have to learn how to tackle and we have to do it right. And you're going to be tackled in the game. So you better figure out how to wiggle out of that or be tough enough to take it. And so Gronk, for the vast majority of his career, was getting tackled in practice in New England more than he was in the games. You just get tired of that after a while, particularly with guys who've been banged up as much as he has. So now he's in a place that's more laid back. He, he went his couple of years, probably talked to Tom, said, hey, man, if you really need me with four games left, give me a call. I'm out for this year. I'll keep in good enough shape that I can help you win a Super Bowl if you need me. All right. Uh, you heard uh, Steve Kim and I talk about uh, Deshaun Watson and what's the appropriate punishment. He settled with 20 of his 24 accusers. This thing is headed towards some sort of ending. What do you think the NFL should do here? How many games should he be suspended or should he be suspended at all? I think there's two important questions that we need to ask when evaluating this. One of them is why do we think the NFL is better at investigating criminal situations or even civil situations better than the criminal justice system? Because that's what we're saying now that the criminal justice system has put him in front of two grand juries and not been able to charge him. So why do we think the NFL is better at that? And the second question is, why do we think employment should be tied to moral behavior outside of the workplace? And, and should it be tied at all? Right. And so because we don't do this anywhere else except for sports leagues or actors, we'll say whatever that might be like an accountant who's having some sort of dust up with his girlfriend. Nobody at work even knows about it. Your job is not threatened unless you go to jail and you're like, oh, Tom, Tom's going to jail. I guess he's not coming to work tomorrow. We better find a replacement. So those are important questions to answer. My general answer for the first question is. I don't think the NFL is good at investigating anything. They did an entire report on the Washington commanders now, and all that came out of it so far was that John Gruden sent a mean email and he got fired. Nothing actually came out of the report, and so Congress now is trying to threaten to get them to release the report, and they don't want to. The NFL is not good at investigating anything, and they've had their fair bit of issues. They had it with the Panthers owner. Now they've had it with Washington's owner. There's a lot of things that the Wells report that you saw with Tom Brady and Deflategate, they're terrible at investigating everything. So when it comes to the livelihood of some somebody, these are still jobs, high paying jobs, jobs that are important uh, for the person, right? I, I just, I don't trust the NFL to make good decisions. I trust the NFL to put their finger up in the air and say, uh, how many lashes does he need? You guys let me know and that's what we'll give him. I don't think that's a fair system. And again, 
I actually think Deshaun Watson did this stuff. But if you can't do anything in court uh, and you can't you don't even have enough evidence to bring charges towards him. It's, it's not that he was able to squirm out of it and there was compelling evidence. They didn't even have enough to charge him. So twice in front of grand juries, they've been able to say, hey, we got nothing. So you go down the civil suit. Civil suit is just more likely than not. Right. And the NFL's uh, personal conduct policy it is incredibly low bar to clear. If you've read it, it says we just need credible evidence. What's that mean? Because there can be credible, credible evidence for and against. And that's how you sort it out. So the NFL gives themselves the out to be able to do whatever they want to do. I actually don't think the NFL should be in the business of investigating and handing down punishments outside of the criminal justice system, because I don't know that your employment should be tied to your moral behavior outside of the workplace. Mm. So give me a prediction on what the NFL is going to do. Oh, they're going to suspend him. I think there's no doubt. And and part of How this long? is cover. They floated a year for good reason, because they they're seeing if that's enough. They floated this, I think, last week that it would it would be the full year. Um, and that was intentional. Those sort of leaks don't get out unless they want them to get out. And they're testing the waters to find out if that is enough for the woke mob. Right. Um, turns out it's not right. The, the, mo the woke mob says nothing's ever enough. So I think they will probably go less than that after seeing people th there's people on both sides that say too much, not enough, whatever. But I do think it's going to be minimally eight games. I would lean towards 10. Uh, I, I, I think it's probably 10 out of 17. Now you got another game and this is coming off last year. I, I agree with your take um, and that getting paid and you basically demanding a trade does not count as time served, in my opinion. Um, I, look, the, the Browns were desperate. This to me, the, the Browns, you said this several weeks ago look worse than anybody here. They let the Texans fully off the hook. Who's talking about the Texans now? Who, in if you look at some of the recent evidence, they, if the settlements were not brought, uh, brought up yesterday, I guess, then the Texans were actually going to be looped in. There were two more accusers. The Texans were actually going to be looped in as enablers, uh, complicit in this sort of behavior, setting up uh, non-disclosure agreements and, and uh, setting up like hotel rooms or whatever it was. And so the Texans now not being discussed at all because the Browns, the most inept franchise in all of sports were desperate for the days of Bernie Kosar. They haven't had a good quarterback since about 1983. And they're like, enough of this. Let's go find a guy with some talent that nobody else will touch. We'll pay him whatever we have to. They look desperate. They're going to get them on the field as fast as they can. Cause that's who they are. The worst franchise in sports. Um, but it's going to be a little while, probably 10 games. Do you think Deshaun Watson will recover and have the kind of uh, recovery that Kobe Bryant, Ben Roethlisberger experienced? I'm skeptical. I, I don't think he's going to have that kind of recovery because I think social media is going to be very hard on him. I think social media's influence is more pervasive and, and more damaging than it was uh, particularly for Kobe Bryant and even for Ben Roethlisberger. So I don't see him, uh, I, I don't see him being the same great quarterback he was before these allegations. I, 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 this will be, you know what, I just thought of this. This will be similar to Tiger Woods after Thanksgiving 2009. Mm. And, and Tiger Woods has never been the same person because he emotionally couldn't recover 
from having his brand and image and reputation tarnished as bad as it was in 2009. I, I don't think he could overcome the shame of it and it affected his golf game. I think we're going to see similar effects for Deshaun Watson. That's a really good comparison. I also think to some degree we're talking about different talent levels. I was never as high on Deshaun as some other people. He was he had some talent. I didn't think he was as accurate, which which keeps you once he loses his ability to be as mobile as he is. Then I think that takes away a little bit um, when you're talking about Kobe. It's a top top three player in most people's minds in, in NBA history. You're talking about Tiger the best ever in most people's minds. And Ben Roethlisberger was a Hall of Famer, maybe not at that time, I guess, but he had already won, I think, two Super Bowls. And so he was in a different place in his career, one, social media, but two, those guys were seriously well-established to recover if they could recover at all. Deshaun was established and making the playoffs and being a guy that people expected to one day be able to challenge the better quarterbacks in the league, perhaps the best quarterbacks in the league. And then you demanded a trade, uh, had 24 civil suits filed against you with potentially a couple more coming. By the way, it's, it's not totally over. That's one part we're, we're missing. The statute of limitations is two years, and we're not at that two years yet. And so just because he settles with these 24, you know, you mentioned it. He had 66, minimally 66 different massage therapists in 17 months. And if it is true that he did it to 24, 26 of them, the likelihood of him doing it to the other 40, whatever, uh, are pretty high. So I don't think the door is closed on that either. And that's how that's largely what keeps you from recovering. Right. Every time you think you're past it, somebody else files suit and said, oh, yeah, by the way, he tried to rape me, too. Um, that. That is going to be problematic for him. And the NFL, I don't think, has a statute of limitations for their personal conduct policy. If he does make a deal of some sort with these guys and whatever it is, an 8-10 game punishment, then he needs to have it written in there somehow that like, hey, this is it, right? Because I don't know who else is coming forward. And this is behavior over this amount of time that we're punishing me. So take all of that into account and let's be done with it because I don't want another suspension next year. So all that's going to play into his uh, ability to recover. I think he's playing for the Browns. There's not been a good quarterback that played for the Browns for a very, very long time. I don't think Deshaun Watson with all of this hanging over his head is going to change that. Thank you, TJ. Don't go anywhere. I'm going to keep you around for uh, some Tennessee Harmony uh, with Bobby and Anthony. We're going to switch to another uh, former professional athlete that's got some woes, Herschel Walker, Tennessee Harmony. Jason Whitlock here. Uh, it's time to get in some uh, Tennessee harmony. That means Pastor Bobby and Pastor Anthony are here, as well as uh, we're joined again by uh, T.J. Moe uh, in St. Louis. We're going to talk a little bit about Herschel Walker, uh, his bid for the U.S. Senate in Georgia, and some problems he's run into uh, most recently uh, about his accounting and his public accounting of how many kids he actually has. And uh, the New York Times, or well, I think the Daily Beast reported that uh, Herschel, who talks a lot about his son, but has three other kids, and I think at least two other baby mamas, with, or maybe it's three different baby mamas, uh, but he has a total of four kids. 
And there's an argument being made that this undermines, undercuts his conservative message, and it certainly undercuts, undermines his uh, complaints about uh, fatherless homes and illegitimate kids being a problem uh, in America and in black community in particular. And so uh, I want to get a biblical take from Bobby and Anthony. Uh, and before we get into it, if you guys could uh, bless the conversation, then we'll hop right in. God, as we do every Wednesday, we just commit this show to you. It's such an honor to do that. And we pray that the light of Jesus would be a bright light in our conversation, that it would please you in Jesus' name. Father God, we're thankful for this opportunity. We're prayerful for those who are tuning in uh, every day. Um, and we're prayerful for those who interact, prayerful for their lives. We ask a blessing on all those that are listening. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And so when I first heard this story about Herschel Walker and these basically three extra kids, my thoughts were, oh, man, he must have just went crazy uh, during his NFL playing days and his athletic days. And I was, they're going to tell me about a kid that he had when he was at Georgia and then uh, he got to Dallas and, you know, mm -hmm. got caught up and blah, blah, blah. But then you come to find out, like, two of these kids, one is like 10 and one is 13. Herschel's 60 years old. So this is at age 47 and age 50. And, and ah, so we'll just start here. Should evangelicals, which Herschel, I don't know if you guys know this, he was just here uh, in Nashville this past weekend speaking to mm. religious folks. Uh, should evangelicals look past uh, his moral failings and just focus on his political message? You know, that's one of the interesting pieces with politics now and politics and those who are Christians or evangelicals. Um, if you aspire for the policy to be right, most of the time you focus on that policy. But then when you have issues of morality that come between that, now it appears if I support the policy, I'm also supporting the immorality. And that's what this whole dynamic uh, caused an issue with. Yeah, I think it's the same issue that uh, many people have with evangelicals supporting Trump. Uh, mm -hmm. Because when you compare Trump's lifestyle, his narcissism, his bad-mouthing people uh, with what the Bible says, there's a, a problem. So uh, I, I, here, here's how I look at it as a Christian. <clears throat> I look at it that we all fall short of living the lives that God wants us to, although hopefully anybody who claims to be a follower of Jesus is working every day at living the right way, but we stumble. So my question about Herschel Walker is, um, is he transparent? Hey, I, I stumbled and fell down. I'm trying to be a better man and, and live the right way. But the truth is I, I, I stumbled. Or is it where he's uh, justifying it, not making a big deal about it? That, that's a question I would have. Now, as a voter, um, 
I do think that people tend to vote their values. So if somebody is going to uh, support uh, godly values, then a Christian is going to want to support uh, that person. It'll bother them, like it bothered many of us about Trump, that they're inconsistent in terms of their lifestyle with a lot of the values they uphold. But at the end of the day, most of us care about, are they going to implement policies that uphold the values? And so sometimes there's a dis disconnect between who they are and what they stand for. TJ, I'm about to come to you, but I, I'm, I, I'm hoping I'm not gonna spin this conversation off the road, but I, I gotta say it. Mm -hmm. I, at, at the, and keep in mind, I'm a non-voter. I've never voted, but I, I just wanna be crystal clear. The Trump-Herschel Walker analogy, I don't, I don't get and I disagree with for this reason. At no point, do I think Donald Trump represents Christianity? I don't think he's ever been interested in representing Christianity. And, and I know that he held up a Bible outside of a burning church once or whatever, because you know, churches are burning and he did it. But there's never been a moment in my life or in his public life that I thought, oh, there's a Christian and oh, he's out. He, he's claimed it though, he, in, his, <laughs> uh, in his Christmas message, you know, a couple of years ago, no, 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 we, I, we Christians and things it. like that. Get it. it. It would be the same as me claiming veganism uh, in the past, because there have been days and even weeks where I've been a vegan, but not with any real credibility, because as soon as my little three days is over, I'm, I was right back in a McDonald's drive through and anybody that knew me or just looked at me mm -hmm. at nearly 400 pounds would be like, <laughs> that ain't no vegan, mm -hmm. and just dismiss it. And so that's how I feel about Trump as it relates to Christianity. I wish that weren't true. I wish he were more believable in that regard, but he's just not. He's been married two or three times. Uh, you know, he used to hang out at the Playboy Mansion all, all the time, and he didn't hide any of this. Mm -hmm. And so I just don't hold him to that kind of standard, whereas it relates to Herschel Walker, he comes off like he's about this life, the Christian life. Mm -hmm. He was just here in Nashville. And so I just hold him to a different standard than I do someone like Trump, who to me, I'm not looking for any moral guidance from him at all. And that's, that's the point though. That, that's, that was what I was laying out initially. How you look at a candidate politically, if you're focused on policy, there are some people that will go to that extreme. I don't even look to you on anything moral or anything religious or anything evangelical, Christian or anything. I'm just looking for the policy. And that, there's a group of people that do that. But then there are those who look at perhaps uh, the value in, you know, Christian values, okay? I see his policies, but he's also, for instance, and this is one very big for evangelicals, he's also anti-abortion. He's also pushing family values, okay? Even though they're focused on policy, when you bring in family values, when you bring in anti-abortion, a lot of evangelicals was, okay, yeah, now I can stand behind that. And if you support that, again, in the general, it looks like, well, you support who they are. 
And that was that's what Bobby said. That was the criticism with Trump, because whenever he would come out with something anti-abortion, whenever he would come out with anything, family values, evangelicals all around. That's our guy, Trump, not so much on the policy. But then if he says something, he curses out a reporter, he does something crazy, then the opponents would say, hey, this is the guy you guys are talking about. This is the one you're voting for. And it's then you have to kind of explain, well, I'm really on the policy, not so much on his personality. The issue with Herschel is he's come out recently and spoke very harsh truth, truth nonetheless, but spoke very harsh truth about fathers being in the home. Fatherless homes are a major, major problem. That's a general truth. But at the same time, he is publicly positioning himself by touting his his son that, hey, see how I do with my son. And all it needs is the opponents to say, wait, but but, but what about these other? Well, yeah, I, I do have some other kids. And that comes in contrast with the message that he's put out. TJ, uh, hop in here. I think if we don't look past the moral issues with politicians, there would be no politicians left to elect. And so uh, there's not a politician out there that hasn't sold themselves out or made seriously bad mistakes along the way. Um, And if if being a humanitarian winning personality was good for the country, then Jimmy Carter would have been the best president ever. It turns out he's probably the worst. Right. So um, those things in play. I try to look at the message and I try to line up if the messenger, not whether or not he's executing everything properly, because I'm not executing everything properly. All of the values that I believe in, I don't execute all of them properly. But does he believe them to the point where he would vote properly on that policy, right? And so he's obviously, even within the last decade, when he's been a 40-something-year-old man, not lived up to the values that he's telling us about. But the values that he's telling us about are really important and we have the statistics to back it up. So he's telling us that and we know that you're four times more likely to be living in poverty if your father's not in the house. You're 90% more likely to be homeless. 71% of teenagers that end up pregnant are from fatherless homes. 71% of, of high school dropouts are from fatherless homes. Go down the line, right? Uh, 63% of youth suicides come from fatherless homes. Uh, you're more likely to do drugs, to go to jail. All of these things line up with his message. So whether or not he's executing that at home is not that relevant to me if he's going to vote for legislation to help this. So if he wants to screw up his family and not follow any of the his own advice or the biblical advice or the actual objective truth for the statistics I laid out to you, you go ahead and screw up your home. But do what Tony Dungy's doing in, in, as it comes to legislation, partner with Ron DeSantis, get 35, 70, whatever it is, million dollars going towards teaching and helping and getting the dads back in the home. You want to screw up your home, that's fine. But help me further the message here that we're going to help get fathers back in the home everywhere else. So I'm going to go back to, again, what my criticism of Herschel Walker would be. When you're not being transparent, and, and you're using Christianity as part of your messaging and, and the values you're expressing. It's like, that's a sellout move to me. 
And so it makes me think, oh, once he gets into politics, if he'll sell out here, he'll sell out other places. That's my issue when I see inauthentic, inauthentic behavior, values, a lack of transparency. Well, what else are you hiding and what other deals with the devil are you willing to cut that I won't know about? Because all these politicians are getting rich. And, and, and so I, I'm like TJ, again, I don't look to any of them for moral guidance, any of them. And because I don't want to turn it into a tit for tat, but it's like, I think last week they just had a story about Joe Biden and his daughter that mm. <laughs> whoever's looking to Joe Biden for more guidance, good luck. Uh, and so I, I just I just don't know of any of them. And so it, to me, it comes down to are you authentic? Authenticity will make me believe, oh, these policies that you're promoting you're actually going to stand behind and try to do, and you're not going to sell out. I think that's, I don't know if I expect moral, morality in politics. I, I do want some authenticity that will make me believe that if you tell me you're not going to do anything to violate the Second Amendment, oh, that dude will actually stand on that, rather than what we're just witnessing uh, today, yesterday, or whatever, I'm watching people backslide, and but th they're inauthentic, and that's what drives me crazy. And so this makes me believe Herschel Walker is inauthentic, and that's my problem because again, all the sins uh, that he's probably done, and and we got proof of now that I've done them all, but I'm going to be authentic about it. And I'm going to live transparent and I'm going to repent and confess. And it's not going to take the New York Times, the Daily Beast or whatever to embarrass me to get me to deal with the fact that at 50 years old, I created a child. He didn't do this ain't 20 when you first get some money and access. This is 50. He's supposed to be a grown. I'm very skeptical of Herschel Walker because of the lack of transparency, the lack of authenticity. He, he will sell out. And, so and, and what you're talking about, though, is, and it may be a synonym to the authenticity, you're looking at integrity. And I think for the vast majority, that's the term that we look at in a politician. We know that you may not be this, that, or the other, but at least you have the integrity to, okay, this is it. I think even on the same message with Herschel, had he, because it was several years ago that he had, initially posted or had to fill out some paperwork that he had four children. Had he, when launching his campaign, hey, you know, you all have heard of my son, but, but I've got three other kids that, you know, and I, these are some areas that I have failed in. But in that failure, I've contributed to homes that don't have the father present there to, I have done that, and this is what, and had gone that way, yeah. we wouldn't hear anything. Well, tell mm -hmm. me this, Anthony and Bobby, a better message, if he wants to talk about the harm that not having a father in the home, if he would start with, hey guys, I've made this mistake. I mm -hmm. know the ramifications of this. I have friends, because he, trust me, he yes, does. He, he does. played in the NFL, that have either grown up this way and experienced the ramifications of it or have created these kids and I've seen all the problems. Again, it's like, 
I can get up here, we can do a whole show on gluttony and I can tell you all the problems it creates and why you shouldn't get involved with it and blah, 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 and more than willing to do it. That's why I talk about it constantly. Again, I'm a sinner that pays the consequences for my sin and don't do that. How come he, if you're gonna sit and talk about fatherlessness and not include yourself and be, and uh, in, in, you know what, I just saw th this weekend, I'm, I'm sorry guys, for, but I'm fired up about this topic and I could be rambling. But uh, mm. this weekend, one of the sermons I watched on Sunday was about uh, how you win over non-believers and, 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 and how you should handle criticism and, and, and the minister talked about, look, the only people that can speak into my life are people who are committed to Christ, who have a personal connection with me, and then speak to me with compassion. And he goes, now, once you've met those three criteria, bring it on. You, 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 you're committed to Christ, you have a connection with me. And then the point he made about this whole connection with me is just like, some of you, as he goes, talked about the church. He goes, the reason why we mishandled the LGBT issue and have lost our footing and all that, we have no connection to them. Mm -hmm. and, and, he, and he pointed out, he goes, the reason we have no connection to them is because many of you are afraid to get connected to them because you might fall. You may, he used their words exactly, you may get turned out because you're not standing on firm ground. It's a powerful message. And, and then he said, because if you have a, a connection and you're standing on firm ground, then you're gonna speak with compassion to these people and you're going to say like, hey, uh, I'm no better than you. Here's the areas where I'm falling mm -hmm. that are sinful in nature and blah, blah. And this is, this is how my relationship with Christ has helped me overcome. And to me, I'm sitting there listening to it and I go, yeah, that's why I talk about my gluttony and promiscuity and how I'm sitting here like, quite like, I made it to 55 and I got no kids and I would have been a great father and I would have been more fulfilled as a father. But I let a bunch of stupid stuff and a vanity and the wrong kind of views on masculinity make me think the more I had, the better I was. And I'm paying the price for that now. Mm. But if you come to people that way, you have an actual chance. And that's where I look at Herschel and it's like, this dude is 60 years old, talking to evangelicals, talking like he's an evangelical, but he's like a little child. And, and, and I'm like, I don't know if I want to send a child to the Senate. So I'm rambling. Let me, let me share this. <laughs> let me share this passage from the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, 15 and 16. He says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul says of himself. Now, Paul, who's written over half of the New Testament, 
most of the churches we read of that were established in the New Testament, Paul has a hand in setting up. Paul is saying, guys, I'm the worst of sinners. Now, at the point in his life, he's living faithful, but he always viewed himself by that perspective of, man, I was the worst. And my ministry, the truth of my ministry is that Christ came to save somebody like me. Sometimes as ministers, we can almost look like Herschel Walker does because people look at our lives and say, oh, well, your situation had and you preached to us on Sunday. Here's the thing that, that I try to stress, and I know Bobby does this as well. We do this on the show. We often are saying things like the Bible teaches, Jesus teaches, because I want you to look to Jesus as the author and finisher of your faith. Not me and Bobby. We are his mouthpieces. We are examples. We are some things that God can use, but we can fail. I want your faith to be established on Jesus. If he, he'll never fail, I might. So with Herschel, if he came out, as we, we've illustrated and say, hey, guys, I have I've messed up as I launched this campaign. I want it to be about truth. And I want to tell you guys, the only thing that's going to get us all back right is Jesus. Look at the areas that I and as you were talking about, even with yourself, look at the areas that I have messed up and I've even contributed to these things. The truth is, yes, a father not being in the home is a major problem. And I've got some major healing I've got to do. It would have been better received than him coming out. And for the most people, they're responding because they're saying, I only thought he had one kid. And he says, I've never denied my kids. You haven't. But you've put yourself out as a leader and a good father. And you've jumped on other fathers when you yourself have had some kids that you may not have been so intimately in their life. So we got to be careful. So uh, I'd like to, I agree with everything Anthony just said. Um, here's the issue that I think really matters to you, Jason. And that is, and by the way, I share this value with you, but I'd like to talk about what the Bible says about it. And that is absolute transparency. I, I'm with you. I think uh, being transparent is really important as followers of Jesus because everybody struggles and it helps everybody when we're open about our struggles and there's a commonality and an encouragement that comes with that. So I prefer transparency. Now, when you look at what the Bible says, the Bible does tell us to uh, confess our sins. But the Bible doesn't say that I've got to confess all my sins. The Bible doesn't tell me where to confess my sins. Uh, you know, the Bible does not have a prescription on how we do that. Um, then the second thing that's related to this is, is this something where I stumbled and fell? Because that's common to man. The book of James says we all stumble in many ways. I have a passage we can look at in just a second. There's a difference between stumbling and walking in darkness. Mm. And um, I am much more sympathetic to a Herschel Walker who stumbled, and maybe he has his reasons why he wasn't transparent about the other children. It doesn't look good. The optics aren't good, mm -hmm. especially for people like you and me who think we should be transparent about our struggles. So uh, is it just that he stumbled, or is this a guy who's a hypocrite? He's claiming to walk in the light, but actually he's living in darkness. 
And so those two issues, I think, uh, really need to be uh, analyzed. If I can, I'd like to show a couple of passages. The only thing I don't want you to lose is I do think I do want to follow up on what does the Bible say? It has to say something about how we should confess, when we should confess our sins. And to me, and again, I'm no expert. That's why I have you guys on. But to me, if you're going to preach about something, yeah. you better be willing to confess yeah. your failures yeah. in that area. And he's been preaching about fatherlessness yeah. mm-hmm. and fatherless homes. And so I'm just, I think that requires him to yeah. confess. So, but so that's I'm, just my I'm, gut I'm, instinct. I'm with you on that because it looks like he's being a hypocrite. So let's talk about confession if we can. Uh, there's a key scripture uh, in the New Testament. It's, it's from James chapter 5. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's in the context of meeting with the pastors and elders of a church. We talked about this last week. So here's what James says. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. When it says confess your sins, it's actually therefore admit your sins. So there's a context there, but let's talk about the context for a second. It doesn't say, do I do this before a whole church? It doesn't say, do I do this uh, just privately with the elders? There's a passage in the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs, that talks about he who confesses his sin is wise. But in terms of the scope of your confession, other than confessing to God, the Bible leaves a lot of leeway there. And so historically, uh, the wise Christians that I have known uh, offered this. They said, confession, it seems, should be the degree to which the sin is public. So if, if my sin is just a private one, Say I stumbled and and I'm looked at pornography. And, fat and everybody can see it. So that's a public. I need to publicly confess. Correct. Yes, I know. Gotcha. Okay. All right, gotcha. uh, let me give you another. I'm not example. even trying to be funny because I just personalize everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. So let me give you another one. I was at, uh, at seminary years ago with a guy, and he was. I used te- to hang out at strip clubs. People knew who I was and could see me. I need. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But this is like real to me. So So let me give you another example. There was a guy that I knew a few years ago and he was a pastor in a church and he got infatuated with a woman and uh, he felt bad about it. So he told his wife and he told this woman and and like uh, the woman like what? Well, the next thing you know, within the weeks that follow that, the woman turns around and falls, gets infatuated back with him. So he confessed to her his lust after her, uh, and that's inappropriate. For example, um, if, if, if a man is struggling with pornography, uh, does he tell that to just everybody, or is that something he confesses to God and his wife and a few close friends? So the, 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 I find wisdom in the degree to which it is public is the degree to which the confession and repentance should be public. TJ, I hear you huffing and puffing. Go ahead and blow the doors down if you'd like. Uh, I actually, I loved everything both Bobby and Anthony just said. I agree. Um, And I like the evaluation of Herschel and agree that it feels, because there is a big, uh, I, I think it would be a huge mistake to disqualify people for their sins if they're, if they're mistakes or stumbling, right? Versus walking in darkness. I think that's a great distinction. The, the problem is, as a voter and as a Christian evaluating how to approach our voting system, 
you got two choices. So it's like, do you want to send Herschel to Congress? What's the alternative? Raphael Warnock, right, who is the the pastor of one of the most famous churches of all time. Pro-abortion, right? So you have a guy who may not be authentic, but at least is outwardly telling us the things that we believe, even if he's not following them in his personal life. The alternative is a guy who's actively, and we know that he is uh, committed to what he's saying, Raphael Warnock, because he's been voting on these bills now in Congress for a year, uh, several years. So that to, that's a big problem for me in our system. It would be wonderful if we could just disqualify Herschel right now, say we don't really believe he's authentic. Who's next up? Who's the next great potential candidate that represents our values? We just don't have that luxury. And it's a bad system where you have two people. It's largely, you know, certainly post-Donald Trump. It's a popularity contest. Dr. Oz just won his primary because his name's Dr. Oz, not because he has good values that people in Pennsylvania can get behind. Herschel Walker has won this, not because he's the smartest or most articulate. If you've heard him talk, you know that's not true. It's because his name's Herschel Walker and he has notoriety. So it's a really bad system. And as Christians, I don't know what our our alternative is other than to vote for the guy that at least says he's on our side and hope that he follows through with it. It's, it's the, as TJ's breaking down, it's the integrity piece. Um, you pointed it out as well, it's integrity. Herschel comes out, he says, hey, these are the things I've dealt with. These are the areas that I still need help. These are the things that God is walking with me on. And these are the policies that I'm putting forth. And these are the truths that I'm espousing that I still have to live by myself. That's received differently than, hey, guys, look at my son, look at my son, look at my son and fathers. Y'all got to do this. Well, yeah, I've got a couple of kids, too. It, it, it just comes backwards. So if he has more integrity and then lastly, as, as voters, you, you'll have scenarios where, as TJ's pointing out, you're going to have the extremes in political position. Sometimes you have those same extremes in morality. You may have a person who may be a good hearted person with bad policy. You may have a person that has good policy and aren't morally sound. And you have to make that uh, decision. Pray, then vote, vote, then pray. I want to kind of end on this note, but because I think I I still want to dig down on confession. Yeah, sure. I, I think it's I, something, I had something I wanted to share. I, I, okay. I, I think it's something people can take from this conversation yes. and apply to their life. And so one thing I hear when I think about confession is that we have to be strong enough to confess to ourselves that what we're doing is wrong and that that's part of the advice because I think about the lies I used to tell to myself sure, yeah. and wouldn't really confess my sin and would rationalize it. Mm-hmm. Jason's being gluttonous. And then part of the lies I would tell is I'm like, oh, that person's fatter than yeah. me. So I'm, it's not so bad. My gluttony isn't, and, and what the Bible I think is instructing me, like be honest with yourself, mm-hmm. confess your sins, because it, you can, con- create these lies in your own head and lie to yourself and never deal with it. It's a way of escaping dealing with your sins. So that's one thing. And then how did the Catholics 
come to this deal yeah. where you went to a priest yeah, yeah. and confessed to this. And I'm not even trying to criticize. I'm just trying to understand sure. where did it come from. Can we do something first uh, yeah. for the audience? I think is really important because I, I think that it's important to lay down sort of a framework biblically about confession and about sin. So in 1 John chapter 1, 6 through 9, which I, we should have to put on the screen, uh, I want to read it to you. It's, it's pretty easy to understand. It's going to talk about walking in darkness, uh, which is the concept of the walk is the way you live, or walking in the light. So walking in darkness is living a sinful lifestyle. Not, uh, walking in the light is following the path of Jesus. Uh, so it's, it's righteousness and godliness, okay? So here's, here's what the Bible says. If we claim to have fellowship with Him, with God, and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. So if I claim to have a relationship with God, uh, but I'm living a sinful lifestyle, I'm a liar and I'm not living the truth. But if we walk in the light as He, that is Jesus, is in the light, we have fellowship, a close relationship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. So there's this ongoing purification of sins in our lives as we're living by faith in Jesus, faith being faithfulness. Now he says this, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So when I'm walking in the light, I'm never going to get to the point in walking in the light where I'm not going to stumble and fall. It's part of our human nature. And then he says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, talking about God, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So here's what the Bible's saying. Those who... Uh, are saved by faith in Jesus are those who have a faithful faith. Their life is characterized by faithfulness, but not by perfection. Because we all stumble and fall, and when we do, we must confess our sins. Now here, it doesn't say, you, do you just confess them to God? And then that raises the question, and I'll answer your Catholic question now. Um, in James chapter 5, which I read to you earlier, confess your sins to each other. That is the only place where Scripture, uh, you know, commands us to do that. Um, they developed, after the Bible, this tradition that you would go to a priest in a confession booth, and there you would confess your sins. Now, uh, I could see benefits in that. I can too. But but to say that that's what the Bible teaches, it's not what the Bible teaches. Got you. But I, I I can see the benefit of it, and just because and one it makes you talk about spew yes. out what it yes. is you're actually doing. Quit lying to yourself. Come in this confession booth, and you have to deal with it. And so it, it, it's I heard your reading of John, and and where it took my mind is, and this is as a journalist, it's, it's a very sound, uh, logical instruction of, hey, if you're confessing your sins to God, to yourself, or whatever, uh, God has rigged us in a way that if we're dealing with truth, we'll actually make sound decisions. And so as a journalist, the whole time when you're reading that and you get to the end and I go, 
This is my whole problem with journalism and, and how it's fallen because this whole country was set up. Thomas Jefferson said he'd rather have a free press than government because he, he believed that if you tell the people the truth, they'll make good decisions. And so our whole system of truth telling and journalism and putting the truth in front of the public so they can make good decisions, it's been torn down. And that's why we have the chaos and the mess that we have and we're going in a bad direction. Similar to if you're lying to yourself and not dealing with your problems in an honest way, you're gonna have chaos and destruction and the wages of sin and, and living an untruthful life are death and destruction and that's what we're dealing with. So I, I can see, you know, and let me not make a Catholic, one, but one, I can see one why. Last, one last advocacy here. Uh, and this is my argument that's contrary to Catholicism. I think that we need to be in discipling relationships with each other. Uh, we need to have those close relationships, even Jesus had with Peter, James, and John, where we're transparent all the way about our lives because we're going to deceive ourselves, but if we have discipling relationships, the Bible calls it close fel or fellowship, if we have those relationships, we actually help each other to see the path of God and help each other not to be self-deceptive. But again, why wouldn't, I could argue, the Catholics would argue that the confession booth is just a pathway to a discipling relationship. Let me put you in an environment where you feel comfortable telling me what's that's really not going a, on. A, a, yeah. I'm sorry, uh, okay, I'm but, just... but, but that's, I mean, a priest is not gonna disciple everybody. It's just, uh, he's, uh, and, and I don't want to appear more negative. Yep. Well, I actually am negative on this point you're making. Yep. I think God's better plan is that you have close relationships with other disciples of Jesus. They're speaking into your life. You're speaking into their life. And you're walking together. That kind of confession How does that start, is, is, is much better. How does that start? Well, it, it starts uh, in multiple ways. And that's what I but, think but that's they not, think. That's not, no, that's not what's going it's just, on it's just not in biblical. the confession booth. It's not, it's He's not, not going to have a discipling relationship with you. No. The priest won't? No. Again, I'm, I don't, I'm not a Catholic. The priest is not going to have a dis discipling relationship. Not with that's not, not how the system's set up. Could it happen? And does it happen in some places? Yeah. I, I know a priest, for example, who's very committed to uh, disciple making and that kind of stuff. But the system itself works against it. Right. In the church, as you are all pursuing after I got God, Bobby fired up. <laughs> pursuing after God, pursuing God together, you'll have those people that will be able to challenge you to say, hey, man, this isn't right. David in the Old Testament had Nathan who could say, hey, man, what you did with Bathsheba and all of that was wrong. Peter and Paul had an incident. Paul said I had to talk to him to his face. He wouldn't have even admitted that to himself. So as I have that kind of relationship yeah. with God's people and with God, it's going to be easier to do that. And even as it relates to leadership, that that impacts my integrity. I go out and I do something that embarrasses and puts a shame on the ministry. <clears throat> I need to confess, hey, guys, I messed up. I was wrong. And this put a bad look on the kingdom of God. I need to get that uh, together. Uh, guys, we went twice as long as I anticipated. Mercy. TJ's got one more thing he wants to say. TJ, be quick, but don't hurry. 
I was going to actually reinforce, I'm not a Catholic. I actually don't think it's a great system. But the one thing that I do agree with Jason on is, you know, when I started telling myself the truth is when I started seeing a counselor and I could more easily tell a stranger the truth. And that actually helped teach me to tell the truth to my oh. peers. So there is something there that it's, well, it started. You, you're going to dispute this man's mm-hmm. truth? Well, oh, wow. No, no, I'm not going to dispute his truth. But I'm going to say, if you want to look at what Scripture says, Scripture says we need close fellowship with brothers and sisters who do what T.J. Moe was just talking about. I get, but he just said part of his path. How to do that. Right. It it opened the way it was. It was my I was ashamed of my sins or my truth, whatever that would be of the thing, my, my shortcomings. I went and saw a Christian counselor that I felt more comfortable telling the truth. I'm like, who's this guy? It doesn't matter if he knows that I'm an idiot and that he taught me ways to closer connect to the people that now I do have fellowship with. I'm, I'm okay with that. Uh, I'm just talking about what's normative and best for most people. Mm-hmm. Bob, I almost called you the nickname that you told me never to call you. Yes, thank you. So I'm not going to do it. We're going to end the show here. We're going to play some harmony. And then Bob's going to put on the boxing gloves with me after this. And uh, we'll settle it that way. All right, we'll see you tomorrow. How did we end up so divided? Stop fighting and Nation one united. Now we're headed for downfall. God let your light shine down. What we need more than anything now. Harmony. Let's make a simple vow. Let's come together now. Harmony. Put all your weapons down. Love one another now. Harmony. Time for us to wait. To my brother, see through the lies you tell us. Cause together we're so much stronger. God, let your light shine down. What we need more than anything now. Let's make a simple vow. Let's come together now. Put all your weapons down. Get to me. Open up your eyes and see.